You're listening to the This Is How We See It podcast with your host, Eric Lee. Thanks for tuning in and don't forget to subscribe. Now, here's Eric. Thanks for tuning in to the show. Welcome to it. My name is Eric Lee. And I thank you once again for spending just a little bit of your day with me. So I'm back after uh, a little break. Yes, I had to have a little break. I had to, I had to relax and, and get my mind right. Everybody needs a break. Everybody needs a vacation. So uh, I've been gone for the last two weeks, but we are back now with new stories. So I came across this article from Variety Magazine on their website, variety.com, in June of this year about a documentary that had come out on the Millie Vanilli scandal. Now, I know y'all remember Millie Vanilli. I actually had forgotten about Millie Vanilli until I read this article. And what was fascinating to me, now, I was not a fan of Millie Vanilli. Uh, I did, you know, I did like the two songs that they uh, had out. But, you know, being a fan, like, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call myself a fan. Like, I would never have paid money to go see Millie Vanilli in concert. You know, thinking about it, there are not too many people that I would pay money to go see in concert. How many concerts? My first concert was the Winans. That was probably back in the 80s. I think I was about 14 when they came here to Raleigh. Um, who else have I seen? I've seen Anita Baker in concert. And as a matter of fact, in about, what's today, the 4th? In about 12 more days, I think, I'm going to see her in Greensboro. Uh, Layla Hathaway, who is fantastic in concert. Um, ooh, Rasan Patterson, who I think is just fantastic all around. I've seen him before. But I haven't really gone to a lot of concerts. And as a matter of fact, I think some of these concert, these ticket prices are, oh, Janet Jackson. Oh, my God. How in the world can I forget Janet Jackson? I think Janet Jackson, I saw her when she came to the MCI Arena in Washington, D.C. on the All For You Tour. And I, I got to tell you, that was, the, that was the best concert that I have ever, ever attended. Uh, but I think, and, and, and that was what, probably 2000, 2001, and I remember her tickets were $85, and we were, uh, we weren't like up in the nosebleed section, but we weren't, you know, exactly on the floor either. Uh, but nevertheless, she was fantastic, but I never would have paid any money to go see Millie Vanilli, and um, so when I was reading this article, it uh, actually uh, shed some light on a lot of things that I didn't know. Now, some of you listening to me were probably Millie Vanilli fans, and you may have already known this, but I'm pretty sure that for some of you, like me, some of this is going to be new. 
Millie Vanilli, the German-French R&B pop duo of the late 80s and 90s, who, having sold close to 50 million albums, were revealed to be a fake. A pair of lip-syncing Euro pretty boys who hadn't sung one single note on any of their hits or at any of their concerts. Once they'd been unmasked, the rise and fall of Millie Vanilli played out on two levels. The first was the spectacular, embarrassing, bad joke of it all. Though it was never just a joke, since Millie Vanilli's fans felt a tremendous sense of anger and betrayal at having been fooled. And I'm still amazed at how they, I, 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 I am still amazed at how, you didn't sing one single note on the record. Okay, I get that. But in concert, in none of your live performances. Like, wow. The second level recognized a crucial and obvious truth. That the scandal wasn't only about Rob Pilatus and Fabrice Morvan, which their teeny bop dreads and break light dance moves, getting up on stage and singing to pre-recorded tracks as if it all had been their idea. Oh no, the brazen fakery of Millie Vanilli echoed, or at least rhymed with, various other kinds of fakery that were embedded in the music industry which is like the packaging of boy bands, the use of lip syncing by established stars. This was certainly more extreme and worthy of being called on the carpet for, but it wasn't a standalone sin. Millie Vanilli, Luke Corum's captivating and surprisingly moving documentary adds another rich layer to the saga. It tells the Millie Vanilli story from the point of view of Rob and Fab themselves, especially Fab, who really unveiled himself to the filmmaker and unfortunately died in L.A. in 1998. We see how they started, why they struck their deal with the devil, and who exactly the devil was. As a documentary, Millie Vanilli brings off something at once strategic, artful, and humane. It presents what happened to Millie Vanilli so that we empathize directly with these two young men who were drawn like sacrificial virgins into the pop maelstrom. Now, I don't know about no sacrificial virgins know about that did they make a big mistake yes were they complicit in a deception that was sleazy and greedy yes but it fell short of being a crime and by the end of the movie a wide circle of influence has been implicated the Spengali who pulled the strings a music industry full of people who saw through the ruse yet rationalized it away and in a sense 
the public itself. There is no way that we could have known. Yet the myth of Millie Vanilli is that it touches on the pathology of image making at the core of pop music. Now, you know, here is what I have realized about being a, a music fan and, you know, a fan of, you know, music and movies. My family, my friends laugh at, you know, my knowledge. My best friend, Jamie, he always laughs at, like, how I know all of these celebrities. And he used to say, you know what record labels, you know, they're signed to. And, you know, you just know all of that stuff. The people that you guys see up on those stages and stuff, those people are made. That image is made by someone. So I'm not quite sure that, you know, image making is is such a, you know, such a sleazy and, and greedy thing. Not so sure about that. Fav Morvain, now chastened and living in Amsterdam, is our tour guide through the story. He talks about what broken souls he and Rob were when they met especially Rob, the son of a U.S. soldier and an exotic dancer, adopted at age four into an unhappy family. Now, I didn't know that Rob was an exotic dancer. I never heard that. Rob grew up in Germany, Fab in France, and the two met in Munich, where, according to Fab, they were the only dark-skinned people, at least on their nightclub circuit. Rob was a breakdancer. Fab danced, too, and styled himself as an entertainer. They put on shows at clubs, drawing people with their exotic looks. Their charisma was sealed with their decision to get matching dreadlocks. Rob and Fab went a step further by styling themselves like dolls. They had the looks to kill and wanted to be stars. And the devil, well... That was the German songwriter and producer they hooked up with, Frank Farian, whose claim to fame was having founded the 70s disco group Boney M or Bonnie M that gave him credibility. And Rob and Fab were so eager for fame that they signed the contract he shoved in their faces after barely reading it. And let me pause there because Lord knows, haven't we heard this story before? People, singers who want to be famous so bad that they will sign anything with anyone without having a lawyer present or some type of representation from someone who knows what they're reading and what they're talking about. I remember I heard, I was was listening to uh, Bruce Springsteen and how he talked about he signed his first 
contract in a junkyard <laughs> on like a old car, like the hood of a car that, that didn't even run. They met in a junkyard. Now, first of all, if you are asking me to meet you in a junkyard, I ain't signing nothing with you. Uh, where is your office? Where is your, why, why can't we meet at a restaurant? I ain't signing no contract in a junkyard. What is wrong with you? TLC talked about signing their deal with Pebbles and Pebble Tone. They talked about how, you know, uh, what was in that contract and, 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 you know, they, they didn't read it. And then new edition, remember the new edition story? how they signed their contract. I will never forget when I watched the new edition story and how they said that they would go on tour around the world and get dropped back off in the hood. Now how in the world am I on a 40 date tour or however many dates it, it was and I ain't made no money. I'm still living in the projects you have lost your mind. But when they showed up at Farian's recording studio, he played them the musical track for what would become Girl, You Know It's True with its catchy bell sound. And then he took Rob aside and informed him that they would not be singing at all on the record. Fab claims they rejected the offer, but that Farian, through the contract, had already trapped them in debt, essentially forcing them to comply. Now, Farian's assistant, uh, assistant Ingrid Segaith, I guess, who was interviewed in the film, claims that that didn't happen. You know, he said, she said, I guess. The bottom line Rob and Fab agreed to go along with the lip-syncing ruse, which was easy to do at first since they were only performing on TV pop shows where even real bands just mined their own studio tracks. It didn't get awkward until Millie Vanilli got bigger, bigger than anyone had planned. And yes, we all know, Yes, we all know there are a lot of shows uh, where, where singers uh, perform and they do not perform their own music. I believe Soul Train was like that. I think I remember at first Soul Train, I think they did perform live and then something changed, something happened, and that nobody performed live on Soul Train. I remember Top of the Pops, if you remember uh, watching the uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, the story of Queen, how uh, Queen got mad because they thought that they were going to be able to perform live on that show, and they couldn't. Nobody performed live on that show. And I will say this, when you think about people like Janet Jackson and Michael Jackson and people that do a lot of dancing in their, you know, on their songs, it is impossible for them to be dancing and singing live at the same time, especially with all of those intricate moves that Janet and then Michael used to do, especially with that synchronized stuff. It's impossible sometimes 
to uh, sing live uh, doing that. This wasn't Frank Farian's first fling with lip syncing. Here's what I didn't know. As we learn, Bonnie M's lead singer, Bobby Farrell, was also a dancer who couldn't sing. His concerts were all lip sync. So Bonnie M, who was another band that this Frank Farian discovered, he had them lip syncing to everything as well. Millie Vanilli looks at how the layers of deception unfolded, taking the moral measure of what happened at every turn. The film presents interviews with Brad Howell and Charles Shaw, the singer and rapper who provided the actual vocals for Girl, You Know It's True and Blame It on the Rain. Now, those are the only two songs I remember from Millie Vanilli. I don't even remember if they, I didn't even know they had any other songs, really. To say that they felt used would be an understatement. But everyone played their part in the scam, including Rob and Fab, who were trapped once the train of fame had left the station. They became stars reveling in the glory and the perks of it all. But the real point is that even if they'd want it out, what could they do? Capsize a multi-million dollar pop juggernaut? Who would have the stones to do that? You would have thought that the end came after the infamous performance on July 21st, 1989 in Bristol, Connecticut, when the hard drive of Millie Vanilli's record track malfunctioned, causing it to jam and skip and play the, f- the phrase, girl, you know it's over and over again at that moment. Rob and Fab were out. And I remember seeing video of this. They ran off the stage when it kept going, girl, you know it's, girl, you know it's. I remember they ran off the stage. I do remember that. But that was not the end. By that point, they had made a deal with Clive Davis's Arista Records. And while Davis, after the Bristol concert, had surely put together what was going on, there was too much money to be made. Millie Vanilli had become huge. Powerful people in the industry, starting with Davis, hoped that the story would simply fade away, like an anecdote about someone's questionable personal behavior. And to a great extent, it did. Ironically, what did Millie Vanilli in was the ultimate sign of their triumph. A misbegotten decision to put them up for the Grammy Awards, which resulted in their receiving a nomination for Best New Artist. Seven months after the Bristol concert on February 21st, 1990, they arranged to lip sync their hit at the Grammys, and they did. 
They also won, beating out such artists as Soul to Soul and Indigo Girls. But that pissed a lot of people off. And it made them, more than ever, the emperor's new clothes. More and more people knew what had become obvious, notably Arsenio Hall, who regularly mocked them for it, but almost no one would say it. And I remember when Arsenio Hall used to, in his little monologue at the beginning of his show, I remember he used to talk about Millie Vanilli. The House of Cards tumbled slowly, starting with an interview given by Charles Shaw and Frank Farian, the master behind it all, was finally pressured into doing damage control. He held a press conference explaining that the duo hadn't sung one note on the album, and from that moment, Rob and Fab were disgraced ex-pop stars. In the press conference they gave, they were attacked as if guilty of treason. The deception packaged by Frank Farian was wrong, and even though Fab Morvane and Rob Pilatus, while complicit, they were not ultimately to blame. The pop music system was also to blame. A lot of guilt that should have been spread around was instead buried or projected onto Fab and Rob. Fab, as we see, pulled himself together. He lives with his partner in Amsterdam and they have four children. And he even learned how to sing. Now, I don't know about learning how to sing. I don't know how somebody can learn how to sing. Either you got the gift to sing or you don't. I mean, I guess you could be taught to sing better, I guess. But I don't know if anybody can teach you how to sing. The film ends with an outdoor concert performance he gives of Blame It on the Rain. And now he sings it better than the original record but Rob didn't have the same fate he sunk into drugs spinning out of the withdrawal from his ultimate drug the adoration of Millie Vanilli fans which was suddenly taken away so Rob passed away from drugs Hmm. he just couldn't handle the rejection Many pop sagas have ended in tragedy, but Millie Vanilli presents what may have been the only one that is both a comedy and a tragedy. So, you know, I would say learn your craft. And I'm not just talking about the music part of it but learn the business part of the music industry because the music industry is a business. The entertainment business is a business, okay? And so you may not be a lawyer, but there are so many books that you can read. Kashif 
has a book called Everything You'd Better Know About the Recording Industry. And I would tell anybody that's thinking of getting in the music business, read that book. There are other books to read as well. But that book, I've read that book myself. And that book gives you step-by-step instructions on how to do stuff and what to look for. So I would say, you know, artists, look, stop signing recording contracts without knowing what you're signing. Don't do that. If they if if they give you a contract and then they don't want you to go take it to a lawyer, that's a problem. Don't sign it. Do not sign it because something is wrong with that. What company wouldn't want you to know what exactly you're signing? Nah, that's some bad juju. Mm-mm, don't do that. Um, and do I think you know? I agree that Rob and Fab, even though they were the ones to really take the blame for what happened, but they are not the only ones that should have took the blame to happen. Somebody offered them something. They, they supposedly, now I don't know if this is true, but they supposedly tricked them into signing the contract and then held them, you know, held them to it, you know? Um, and yes, they, they, they were complicit in this. Were they, you know, by themselves? Absolutely not. So, I don't know, people. All I'm going to say is learn your craft. Know what it is you are signing, whether it's a music contract, whether it's a, a modeling contract, whether it's a, a television contract. Get some professional help. And if that person doesn't want you to get professional help, know that something is wrong with it. Well, that's my show. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Bye for now.